0: Rembrandt's painting gives us a Judea that has been destroyed, but a Judaism that remains alive, sustained by the Bible and still existentially attached to the land of Israel. He gives us, yes, a picture of devastation, but also of resoluteness, of cleaving to the Holy Land, of being bound to one's people. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 157, Rembrandt's Jeremiah. I'm Mayor Soloveitcher. We return today to Rembrandt, to a painting that he did not title, but which is today assumed to be connected to the book that we have been studying, and, we can further suggest, which truly captures not only the soul of a prophet, but of the entire Jewish relationship with Jerusalem. Let us begin by analyzing the image that has been sent to you, created by Rembrandt very early in his career, in the 1620s. This painting centers not on a city, but on a man in mourning. He is clothed in the finest furs and is handling bejeweled golden goblets and bowls, but he seems utterly uninterested in the luxury that he appears to have. The source of his sadness is not immediately apparent, but if one studies the canvas carefully, one finds on the left side that Rembrandt has given us a whole other scene, a city in flames, marauders attempting to scale its walls, and, if you look very carefully, all the way on the left, a man fleeing the scene with his hands over his eyes. Now Rembrandt, as in most cases, did not... Given name to this canvas. So what scene has he given us here? One suggestion put forward is that Rembrandt is showing us the first city to be destroyed in the Bible, Sodom. According to this interpretation, the man mourning the destruction is Lot, Abraham's nephew, who chose to dwell in that city for its wealth and abundance, only to lose everything and take refuge in the mountains. This approach would further suggest that the man fleeing the city is Lot himself, who was ordered by the angels that rescued him not to look back on the city as it was engulfed in flames. Rembrandt, according to this approach, is giving us several scenes involving the same person at different moments in the story. But this interpretation is problematic. Lot fled Sodom surrounded by his family and the escorting angels, whereas the man covering his eyes in Rembrandt's painting is all alone. Moreover, the mourning man that is Rembrandt's subject is leaning on a book, which is clearly identified as a Bible, seemingly drawing support from the Word of God. Such a scene is impossible to involve Lot, who lived before the Bible was written. It is therefore assumed today by most scholars that the city being destroyed in the painting is Jerusalem. The marauders are the invading troops of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, and the man in the center of the scene, who is mourning, is the most famous mourner of Jerusalem, the prophet Jeremiah. It was he, as we have been learning, whose predictions of Jerusalem's destructions was largely ignored by the residents in the doomed city. And it was Jeremiah who authored the biblical book that we will later learn, the book read by Jews mourning for Jerusalem on the ninth of Av to this day, Echa, the book of Lamentations. According to this approach, the man on the side of the scene, with his hands over his eyes, fleeing, is the one described in the book of Jeremiah itself, chapter 39, verses 1, 2, and 3 through 8. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. And in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, the ninth day of the month, the city was destroyed. And it came to pass that when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, saw them and all the men of war, that they fled and went forth out of the city by night, by the way of the king's garden, by the gate betwixt the two walls, and he went out the way of the plain. But the Chaldeans' army pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah and the plains of Jericho. And when they had overtaken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment upon him. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah in Riblah before his eyes. Also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. As museum exhibitions have noted, the theory that Rembrandt is giving us the destruction of Jerusalem in the age of Jeremiah is further confirmed by the fact that the Dutch Bible in Rembrandt's age portrays a drawing of the prophet in a pose similar to that given to us by the artist. Rembrandt, then, is depicting a Jewish prophet in mourning for Jerusalem, and he places in the background a city in flames, as well as a Jewish king clutching his eyes, suffering blindness. That, according to this approach, is Zedekiah. A difficulty, however, remains. A careful examination of the book of Jeremiah reveals that nowhere does the prophet come upon fur, gold, or goblets, at least not explicitly. Where would Rembrandt get the idea of placing these at the center of the scene? In addressing this, answers have abounded. Fritz Landsberger, one of the earliest writers on Rembrandt and the Jews, looks to the book of Maccabees in offering an interpretation. There we are told of one tradition amongst the Jews that Jeremiah, in advance of the temple destruction, took some of its holy vessels and hid them in a cave, so that they would not be taken by the Babylonians. The book of Maccabees describes how Jews followed Jeremiah to the hiding place. Quote, Some of those who followed him came up intending to mark the way, but could not find it. When Jeremiah learned of it, he rebuked them and declared, The place shall remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Then the Lord will disclose these things, and the glory of the Lord in the cloud will appear as they were shown in the case of Moses, and as Solomon asked that the place should be specially consecrated. End quote. That, Landsberger suggests, is what is being shown here. But, ladies and gentlemen, this story in Maccabees describes not finery, but the vessels of the temple. Maccabees certainly says nothing of the fur in which Jeremiah is attired. And if you see the painting in person, I can guarantee you that you can tell that Rembrandt wished to emphasize the luxury of this article of clothing. You feel as if you could reach out and touch the fur, and it would feel exactly like what Rembrandt was painting. What then would Rembrandt's source be? We will study a prominent Scholarly approach, which begins with a visit to Rembrandt's house in Amsterdam, where Rembrandt once lived among the Jews who had found the haven after a century in Portugal. The house has been carefully recreated today based on records from a low moment in the artist's life, a bank's foreclosal on his home. Ironically, it is the meticulous Dutch records of bankers that have allowed this home to live on, giving us knowledge of every object that was once in Rembrandt's domicile. These records show that Rembrandt's library was anything but vast, but of the few books in his possession, one, the writings of Josephus. This was no doubt an essential tool for a painter of biblical scenes. It functioned as a sort of midrash for the artist. While Rembrandt was still living in Leiden, not Amsterdam, when he gave us this painting of Jeremiah, his library clues us in as to what he might have been perusing when this painting was made. Before we turn to Josephus, let's look further at our chapter, wherein we are informed that Jeremiah was treated kindly by Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man, Nevuzaradan, Verse 9. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive into Babylon the remnant of the people that remained in the city, and those that fell away that fell to him, with the rest of the people that remained. But Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, left of the poor of the people which had nothing in the land of Judah, and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him and look well to him, and do him no harm, but do unto him even as he shall say unto thee. Jeremiah then describes, How Nevuzaradan and his fellow Babylonians released Jeremiah. Verse 14. Even they sent and took Jeremiah out of the court of the prison and committed him unto Gedaliah the son of Achikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should carry him home. So he dwelt among the people. Nevuzaradan is called in Hebrew Rav Tabachim, which is commonly translated as some version of captain of the guard, though there are certainly other ways to translate this phrase. Be that as it may, the fact remains that whatever his precise position, Nebuchadnezzar clearly is important to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar seeks to treat Jeremiah well, based on the king's command, presumably because they know that the prophet had counseled surrender. We are told further in the text that Jeremiah was rewarded by the Babylonians and allowed to dwell among his people. But Josephus' Antiquities expands on this. Here is what he writes. Now the general of the army, of when he had carried the people of the Jews into captivity, left the poor and those that had deserted in the country, and made one whose name was Gedaliah the son of Achikam, a person of a noble family, their governor, which Gedaliah was of a gentle and righteous disposition. He also commanded them that they should cultivate the ground and pay an appointed tribute to the king. He also took Jeremiah the prophet out of prison and would have persuaded him to go along with him to Babylon, for that he had been enjoined by the king to supply him with whatsoever he wanted. And if he did not like to do so, he desired him to inform him where he resolved to dwell, that he might signify the same to the king. But the prophet had no mind to follow him, nor to dwell anywhere else, but would gladly live in the ruins of his country and in the miserable remains of it. When the general understood what his purpose was, he enjoined Gedaliah, whom he left behind, to take all possible care of him and to supply him with whatsoever he wanted. So when he had given him rich presents, he dismissed him. Accordingly, Jeremiah abode in a city of that country which was called Mizpah, and desired of Nevuzaradan that he would set at liberty his disciple Baruch, the son of Neriah, one of a very eminent family and exceeding skillful in the language of his country. Thus, in other words, Josephus describes how Jeremiah is urged to go to Babylon, but he refuses, and that he is given rich presents by Nevuzaradan. This is the scene, ladies and gentlemen, that, as Simon Shama writes, Rembrandt gives us here. A man, who finds solace not in his luxurious possessions but in the biblical text on which he both figuratively and literally leans, and in the land of his ancestors in which he chooses to remain. In Saimashama's words, there is, quote, something prophetically moving about Jeremiah, as Josephus described him in the Antiquities of the Jews, a book Rembrandt owned, preferring to dwell amidst desolation rather than accept the offer of the king of Babylon to live in exiled splendor, end quote. The painting thus portrays a profound Jewish attachment to Jerusalem and the land of Israel at the moment of destruction. It is, in a certain sense, a depiction not only of one man at one moment, but of the Jewish mourning in exile, longing for the Holy Land, a longing that marked the Jewish diaspora when Jerusalem was again destroyed by Titus, a longing that marked the persecuted exile of millennia. Put another way, Rembrandt's painting gives us a Judea that has been destroyed, but a Judaism that remains alive sustained by the bible and still existentially attached to the land of israel ladies and gentlemen this painting is unique the fact is that there are many artistic depictions of the destruction of the temple of jerusalem most famously those of the french old master nicholas poussa which we shall discuss in another talk but those paintings emphasize the destruction not the jewish reaction to it rembrandt in contrast through a sensitive depiction of the prophet jeremiah puts front and center not the destroyed Jerusalem, but the mourning Jew. He gives us, yes, a picture of devastation, but also of resoluteness, of cleaving to the Holy Land, of being bound to one's people. And he shows us thereby why the destruction of Jerusalem and the land did not destroy the Jews nor the Jewish connection to Jerusalem. I have had, ladies and gentlemen, the opportunity to see this painting several times in Amsterdam, but also in the Holy Land when it was on loan to the Israel Museum. The scene the artist captures is indeed a sad one, but standing in a Jerusalem to which the Jews had returned and seeing this depiction of a Jew refusing to forget Jerusalem ensured that it was one of the most inspiring experiences of art that I have ever had. This is Mayor Soloveitch, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.